The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Dr. Janetti Murata, and uh, she's a psychologist who has specialized in infertility since 1990, so a lot of experience, and she's drawn from her own journey through infertility and for those with whom she's worked, and she's the author of A Fertile Path, Guiding the Journey with Mindfulness and Compassion. Dr. Murata is also a longtime practitioner of meditation and a teacher of mindfulness, and an author of 50 Mindful Steps to Self-Esteem, Everyday Practices for Cultivating Self-Acceptance and Self-Compassion. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Sarah, for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Yes, I'm excited. So <laughs> we focus so much uh, at Birth Circle about birth and especially postpartum. And I wanted to, um, to spend a lot of time with you talking about fertility because Fertility is part of the whole journey that we kind of forget. And it's, you know, once you get that positive pregnancy test, then the world wants to hear about it. But mm-hmm. a lot of times infertility is kind of still a hush-hush and people come and talk about it, but only in still pretty guarded ways. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear about your, uh, <laughs> your take on, on infertility. And as a psychologist, what inspired you to specialize in fertility? And infertility. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and just one thing, I, I, it typically is talked about as infertility, but I like to call it fertility challenges. Oh, yeah. Because it, it's such a kind of a loaded word. And, and it's true. There's, it's still hard for people to really um, talk about and be open about, which is why, yeah. it's, why it's, it's difficult to, um, to seek counseling. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, what inspired me uh, to specialize in this area, which I have been specializing in for about almost 25 years now, is um, my own personal experience with infertility, with fertility challenges. Um, so after six years of uh, repeated miscarriage, um, IBF, uh, donor IBF, first with my sister and then with the matched donor, um, adoption, uh, it was finally surrogacy where we had a child. Uh, and she's now uh, 20, 26 years old. Wow. And um, yeah, the absolute continues to be the, the love of my life, um, along with my husband and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, other, other, I, ha- I also have two children from a previous marriage. Um, so for me, it was secondary infertility. Uh, and during those six years, I was really falling apart. My sense of self, self, dwindled. Um, and I sought all sorts of ways to kind of heal myself. And that was through therapy, individual therapy, family therapy. Um, I joined a Buddhist Zendo. I um, had an acupuncture exorcism. Um, <laughs> wow. So I, nobody, I haven't heard that from anyone else. No, I haven't heard that. Can I ask you <laughs> um, from a psychologist's point of view, why is it that fertility has the power to break us 
so severely. I mean, gosh, I didn't get the job I wanted. Gosh, I didn't get into the play I auditioned for. Gosh, you know, like all these life challenges are, oh man, I went into bankruptcy. But infertility, sorry, fertility challenges. Oh yeah, go go ahead. (laughs) Say say infertility is easier. (laughs) Yeah. That like, it has the ability to like completely break us as women. Yeah, it, it does. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's what I found. And uh, just one thing about secondary infertility um, and it is that it's just as difficult as primary infertility um, for different reasons. Um, so um, I just want to put that, put that out to not minimize the impact of it. But it has this, um, it, it's, it's huge. I mean, it, and primarily I think it has to do with the fact that our, the way we do define ourselves as, as, as women is oftentimes embedded in motherhood. Um, for, for men, it's virility and, you mm. know, it's the ability to, you know, uh, procreate. Um, and so uh, we have this assumption that we're just going to be able to get pregnant and have a child and when we, when we want to. Um, and when that assumption gets broken, our self-esteem gets impacted at this very like primal level. Um, so infertility isn't seen as a medical diagnosis, which it is, mm-hmm. but it becomes a definition of oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what happened to me was really no different than at this point, the thousands of, of men and women that I, I work with over the years. And that is that you really get demolished. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what I was saying was I tried everything, including um, well, uh, like a lot of East West paths. I went on vision quests, actually ended up be- being a vision quest, uh, becoming a vision quest uh, leader, you know, seeking the wilderness uh, for healing. And it wasn't until I got on this East West path that I went to India where it's materialism is what's mainly at the basis of our, our culture and spirituality is at the basis of, of India, where I really turned from the outside to the inside. Mm. And what I mean was that what was important was cultivating qualities of like trust in myself, patience, uh, self-acceptance. And when I turned that around, you know, from the only way that I could ha- be happy and feel fixed as a, a, a woman or as a human being was to have a baby. It was the success, the outward success, uh, mm-hmm. because, because I, I felt, and everybody who I work with mostly feels like a failure, yeah. um, that then I was able to believe I would have a child if I opened to possibilities, it was going to happen. And, and actually, when I came back from that trip in India, um, I met my husband at the airport, um, and he met me with a pillow under his uh, shirt, meaning that our surrogate had just gotten pregnant when I was in India. Yeah. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Very cool. (laughs) So uh, what is mindfulness? So, um, yeah, mindfulness, I mean, I see it as like the perfect kind of way. I, I found mindfulness after... Uh, sometime after um, my ha- having my daughter, and um, I realized that it was really the the perfect kind of antidote to work with the twists and turns of uh, infertility, because 
we tend to have a lens of judgment that inclines mm-hmm. us towards looking at things as being good or bad. This is the success or failure that we could feel, um, or you know, outward success or failure, um, like or dislike, um, and that's in terms of our experience or our, our ourselves. And mindfulness is really about um, uh, unconditional acceptance. It's uh, being with what's happening without wishing that it was mm-hmm. different. And so this is huge for infertility because it's so much about, I can't wait to, you know, like to have a child. This is never going to happen. Um, I, I'm, you know, um, I'm a failure. I feel guilty because I should have tried sooner. So there's all sorts of ways where we get in our own our own way with our how we're uh, relating to the infertility. So um, mindfulness is at the heart of Buddhist psychology. Buddhist psychology shows us how to, how we get stuck and how we break free, and it's based uh, on a lot of things. But but one is the three truths of reality. So what the Buddha says is that um, the first truth is life has inevitable suffering, but we we resist that. We want to, you know, we, we want what we want. We don't want what we don't want. And so mindfulness allows us to look at how we're resisting, um, how we're judging our, ourselves and our experience, because this, the central quality is, is acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean endorsing or condoning what's, what's happening. It's about being with, with what's happening. And so Rather than trying to, and this is the inside out approach, rather than trying to change the situation, in this case, infertility, it's to, for the IVF to work or you know to get pregnant, to have a child. It's looking at how you're relating to the infertility. And um, it's, it's the guilt, it's the regret, the anger, the um, mm-hmm. everything. Um, the other two, I'll just go through them really quickly, yeah. is, is that... Um, uh, uh, nothing is permanent. The only thing that's permanent is impermanence. And so um, mindfulness really helps you to learn how to ride on the waves of change and kind of have the mantra, all things shall pass. Because when you're experiencing infertility, it feels like it's never going to go away. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like it's, you know, it's, it's solidly uh, here. Um, and then the third truth is that we tend to personalize life, which is an incorrect uh, way. Of, <laughs> like the universe must hate me. Thing, it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like we have the experience and it's happening to what's called me, minor I. And so um, rather than saying I am depressed, uh, you say this is depression. And so it's this, again, it's this neutral perspective, which allows mm-hmm. you to step back and then work with what's happening, mm-hmm. not take things personally. <laughs> I love that. Don't take life personally. <laughs> That's awesome. Harder, harder said than done, but, but totally. it, yeah, yeah, it's the practice that, you know, that, that yeah. really helps. That's really funny. Um, so how does mindfulness then help with infertility? Um, well, first of all, what does stress then what what impact does stress have on fertility so um what we 
know through at least three studies is that the degrees of um, depression and anxiety for women with a diagnosis of infertility is equal uh, to the diagnosis for women with um, uh, cancer, heart disease, and um, I think it's HIV. HIV, but, but definitely cancer fantastic. and heart disease. Yeah. Um, and hmm. we, we know that, uh, we, beyond a doubt that, that fertility treatment is, is stressful. We also know that the top reason for, um, people, uh, uh, dropping out of fertility treatment is not diagnosis, finances, or, uh, prognosis. It's, uh, uh, uh it's, it's stress. So, um, stress, can really keep you not only from continuing treatment or continuing trying, um, but um, uh, but but keep, keep even keep you from kind of getting in the in the door. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there's been some studies. Um, the the stress fertility relationship is still uh, controversial, but uh, there was a study. Uh, uh, meta-analysis with 39 uh, that looked at 39 studies. This was in 2015 of um, people who had gone into intervention groups. This is like psychological intervention groups uh, versus uh, uh, those who had in a c- control group. And it not only showed uh, decreased levels of depression and anxiety for the intervention group, but a higher success rate. In fact, it was it was double that of the control group. Hmm. Um, there was also an epidemiological study in 2015 um, that looked at women with very high stress uh, was uh, were 40 percent less likely uh, to um, become pregnant. And wow. so that study in particular really talks about the need to take stress as just as important as like what we commonly know is like, you know, it's important not to smoke. It's important not to drink. But, but this study in particular is really saying, you know, take stress seriously and put that into um, uh, your treatment. So it's not only, yeah. well, you know, but. We all know that telling somebody to calm down is the best way to get them to calm down, right? Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, if you absolutely. Say simply just don't have stress. That's going to be super effective, I'm sure. And, uh, there's so much that people say that just drives everyone nuts. Yeah. But how do oh. we de stress? How do, especially in fertility issues where you're like, this means so much to you? Absolutely. How can you just tell somebody, this doesn't, this shouldn't mean this much. Chill out. You, 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 oh, you can't. Well, see, that's why when I found mindfulness, and this is after my own experience, that it was like, this is exactly what, oh, what's needed. Yeah. Because infertility is all about control. So it's, you know, uh, it's trying hard to succeed. And usually that success, that effort success model works in like, if you study more, you're, you're going to do well on a test or, yeah, exactly. um, but infertility, you have no control over the the outcome. Uh, so, um, uh, what I was talking about, especially with that, like first truth, you always need to look at how you're resisting life, you know, how you're resisting like uh, the suffering, how you're resisting the fact that everything does change, that you can't, uh, rely on placing all your ducks in the row and that 
if you're personalizing it, this is an incorrect perception of, of life. And so when somebody says, you know, you know, just don't be so stressed out. Mindfulness is not about changing. Um, it, it, it's, it's not about like not having the thoughts or feelings. It's, it's about um, being with them. And, mm. uh, and so not trying to change how, what you're thinking, not trying to change how you're feeling, but opening up to it with this neutral perspective. Because if somebody says, you know, you should just relax, then it's, then you're judging yourself. You know, what's wrong with me? I created this. Right. Uh, I can't yeah. relax. Yeah. yeah. Then it's all self doubt again. It, exactly. And, and, you know, while these, like what I was saying, the stress fertility relationship is controversial. And so it's not really saying that you're creating your infertility. It's saying that that stress doesn't help. Well, it makes sense biologically. Um, it would not be good as a species if we were getting pregnant under duress. So if, you know, it's a time of famine or if a woolly mammoth is, you know, sitting on your house, that's not the time to get pregnant. So it would biologically make sense that stress would suppress fertility. Yeah. And we also see women getting pregnant under all sorts of horrible situations. Um, and, and also when they're stressed out. So it, there's not, oh, you know, yeah, it's not really theory like, totally. <laughs> um, no, no, no. What you're saying is true, but, but there, uh, th- there's a possibility that what's happening is that uh, there's a kind of a low grade chronic stressor that, that infertility is creating. Mm-hmm. And because, because oftentimes infertility really you're in it for, for a while. Oh Yeah. And that um, they don't know, you know, what's happening physiologically. Possibly there's an imbalance of the, of the hormones. Um, but that uh, there could be su- suppression um, of uh, fertility from the, the stress that's having an impact on, on the body. Mm. But you're, you're not causing your infertility. But if you do, if you are feeling stress, take this seriously to incorporate that into your whatever treatment it is that you're having. Awesome. So that goes into the next my next question. What is meant by a holistic approach to fertility treatment? It's it's what I what I think of is it's it's like being a, a part what's called a participatory uh, patient. And and that means that um, that that it's not just you're being treated like by the doctor, but you're tuning into your own body and doing what you can for yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the pharmaceuticals. It's not just the, the, the surgeries. It's also the self-care. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's that three, three part component that is the, that creates the, the, the holistic approach. So in your book, in your book, uh, Fertile Path, The Guiding Journey with Mindfulness and Compassion, you refer to infertility um, as presenting a kind of existential paradox. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When I was talking about the twists and turns, um, it's it's really kind of crazy what happens. So uh, something that I was talking about is that, you know, normally effort equates with success and it doesn't work that way with, uh, with infertility. So that whole model of using control, um, to, 
you know, um, to, to, to work, uh, actually makes you, it's just more, more difficult and it makes, it makes it harder and harder. Uh, I, what I've seen is the women who are really, really successful, like particularly in their careers or, you know, um, really, uh, can, can struggle because control has worked wonders for them. Um, because they, you know, their effort has really been impactful, yeah. but, uh, it, it, just um, when you use control in a situation where there is no control, it only exacerbates it. Um, and another one is that couples need more of each other when they have less to give to, to each other. Um, uh, there is a race against the biological clock. And this is really common, you know, like, you know, 30, what they say is that 35 fertility starts kind of dipping at 40 there's this dive and you know I everybody sort of uh, so many people that I work with say that that they're old because they're 40 you know or 41 uh, at, my, <laughs> at my age I, I consider their kids That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but um this is a time where they actually need to slow down but it's this race uh, yeah. for time. yeah and um, we're having people have babies later and later so yeah absolutely Right. It's even uh, more of a race. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a big race. Another one is um, uh, that, that this is a time to get more support uh, because you're struggling. And uh, the more support you need, the greater the kind of tendency to retreat because you're protecting yourself from comments like, you know, just relax Mm-hmm. Um, if you just relax or the stories of, oh, well, I just really, I stopped, I gave up and the next month I was pregnant. So you mm-hmm, should do the right. same thing. Right. Yeah. Just adopt, <laughs> um, go on vacation. Uh, oh. Yeah. So, um, and, and then, you know, having no control over when somebody gets pregnant and, oh, you know, going into the office one day and, oh, yes, it's pregnant or it comes on, yeah. on uh, Facebook or, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so there's this retreat of just like protecting yourself from who knows what's going to happen that day. Um, and, uh, so, um, uh, yeah, there's just this, these counteracting, uh, tendencies. Um, and the, the literature does say that those who need, um, therapy the most are the least inclined, uh, to get it in terms of, uh, infertility. Mm. And I have definitely noticed uh, incredible resistance around uh, seeking seeking support in the in the form of counseling. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Um, Seems like it's I, a vicious cycle. Then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and and then another vicious cycle is kind of the more stress you feel, the, the harder it could become to conceive and. I think that at the basis of it is what we talked about, you're asking, you know, about at the very beginning of this interview, that it's, it just, um, it just um, hurts us at our, our soul or at our, you know, our, our fundamental sense of, of self. Um, so it's scary. You know, if you go into counseling and I mean, I've done groups actually for more than 20 years at this point. Um, I used to do, I used to specialize in the area of, of drug and alcohol 
And that's a resistant population. And I could tell you it was easier to get people to sign up for uh, um, a, a group uh, program than it has been for me to enlist um, uh, women in these fertility groups. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, and I think Is that because that, there's so much shame around it. Is yeah, that- it's, I think it's the shame. And also, like, if you open up Pandora's box, what are you going to find? And so then you start fearing that it's going to be even more well overwhelming than it is. You know, I could barely take the fertility treatment. There's no way that I could take on, you know, kind of working on my, my myself and getting in further in touch with my emotions. So um, I, I think, you know, it's, it, it's, it's the shame, it's the overwhelm, it's the fear. Yeah. Wow. Again, vicious cycle. But mm. there is truth to when, when, I mean, we hear the stories all the time about the adoptions happening and then the next month you find out you're pregnant <laughs> and all of these, mm. these things that just, that just reinforce what you're saying is we really don't have control. Yeah. What, I mean, what I've heard about those stories of, you know, all of a sudden, you know, adopting in the next month is those stories get your attention. Yeah. Um, so they, they're, they're, it seems like they're happening more than they are. Although um, there was a study that came out of uh, Israel uh, quite a while ago, and it looked at um, letting, letting go or in mindfulness, letting go is really letting be. Um, and it, it did, it, it, it had a correlation between uh, those w- women who were able to kind of be higher on the letting go scale than, mm-hmm. than, than others. And so mindfulness is all about like um, letting go or, you know, um, uh, being with what's happening, letting go, uh, letting be. And again, acceptance is not uh, this endorsement. It's about being with. Mm. Uh, so not trying to change what's happening, but changing how you're relating to it. Got it. Okay. So I want to talk about some practical application. So you have a woman in your office suffering some pretty severe postpartum or infertility struggles. (laughs) We'll we'll deal with the postpartum later. Um, She's been trying for several years. What then would you start? First step, would you teach her? Uh, first step yep. is acknowledgement, acknowledging that her her feelings are valid. Um, absolutely, first step. So listening because, to her vent for an hour and saying yes, yes, and, yes, and exactly. And this is normal. Yeah, I mean, so many people think that they're overreacting, and oftentimes <laughs> kind of I hate the word <laughs> overreacting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's also tied into like the shame and the guilt and like oh what's wrong with me yeah and uh, but like I was quoting in these studies I mean the the levels of uh, depression and anxiety are are you know as much as heart disease and in, in, in cancer so, yeah it's and, bad and, and and it is HIV I was just remembering yeah so number one is is acknowledge okay so um, she's sitting in your office and she feels heard okay now she's butter in your hand she's ready to listen <laughs> she <laughs> she feels heard now what do you tell her um well then then it's usually 
I don't want to feel this way. And what comes with this is oftentimes this, this regret that they didn't like women didn't try sooner um, or um, they, uh, they didn't go into treatment sooner. Uh, um, but it's, it's, it's regret in their decisions, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, in the past. Uh, so it's, it's again, kind of listening to that and normalizing that. Um, so where mindfulness comes in is, is, uh, this, this, um, thinking that, you know, you start getting in your own way of, of the suffering by these layers of guilt and regret and all you that. Start and, getting in your own way. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you, you get in your own way. Um, there's so that this, the suffering, it's almost like you're getting in your way. So the suffering just can't do its job. Like not, not that it's fun to suffer, but suffering serves a purpose in, I mean, yeah, you can't avoid it. Right. You, that what and, you're saying? And, yeah, you can't avoid it, and it's real suffering. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not making you're not no. making up the suffering. No, um, but what you are doing in terms of getting in the way is you're making it worse. You're making it harder for yourself. Okay, Which, way to lay on the layer on the guilt again. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's there's a story that I, I think uh, I, I love to tell. Um, it's Buddha and, and the three arrows. It's a very common story. So uh, Buddha says to his students, "What happens when a, when you're shot by an arrow?" And they say, "Oh, that's terrible." What about a second arrow? And and uh, Buddha, uh, the students say, "Oh, that's that's even worse." Well, how about the third arrow? Oh, well, uh, absolutely. That you know, just beyond horrible. And the Buddha says, "The first arrow is is life, the the unavoidable suffering. Mm -hmm. But the second arrow is why didn't I?" Why didn't I move? The oh my third, goodness! The third arrow is I'm 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 never going to be able to support my family. You know the fourth arrow. <gasps> you can keep on going. Oh my gosh! Ouch! Okay, that proves your. Yep. Okay, then that that parable takes away the guilt as well because if I if I'm causing those second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth arrows, then that means that is something I can control. I can't control the first exactly. arrow. Exactly. Right. It's knowing, and, and that's like the serenity prayer. It's knowing what you can control, what you can't control, and having the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, that serenity yeah. prayer bugs me. Just kidding. <laughs> I, like to have, I like to have all the control over everything. <laughs> yeah, That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now she's in the place where she sees that she didn't, she didn't cause the first arrow. She didn't cause the infertility acceptance. Right. Um, she is, she is making herself miserable with the second, third and fourth there. Okay. So she's come to the place of acceptance. Then what do you tell her? Well, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's that soon with coming I know, to I the know. place. <laughs> <laughs> I like to simplify things. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, uh, so at the, at the beginning, it is a lot of listening. It's if there's, if there's the, the regret, Mm -hmm. Then it's it's looking at the re re regret and kind of poking holes in it. Um, there's a lot of erroneous thinking, like if only I had a crystal ball, but there is no crystal ball of what's going to happen. Um, it's a, it's a, a kind of a black and white thinking or um, a way of of um, feeling like you have more control than, than you have. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
so there is this uh, also in mindfulness. It's it's only until you accept yourself for who you are can you change. So it's not trying to change. Again, it's not the situation. It's 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 finding that place of acceptance within yourself. So I uh, like in the book, um, which is based on this program that I put together. It has these these steps. And in fact, each chapter represents one uh, week of, of, uh, oh, of the wow, program. Nice. So the first, the first practice is, is learning how to use the breath to turn on the relaxation response. Because what happens with uh, infertility is because it's a chronic stress condition is that we, we tend to, to uh, breathe uh, from our chest is shallow breathing. And this is where the stress re- response comes from, you know, and we need the stress response to like, you know, run away from the saber tooth tiger, but there's so many stressful situations in each day. Uh, starting with the sound of the alarm clock, um, but then there's the, chron- the chronic stress of infertility that this stress response stays on, but it's at kind of a, a, a low alert. And the antidote to the stress response is the relaxation response, and it's bringing the breath into the belly so that the, the, the belly expands on the inhalation and contracts on the exhalation. And so uh, I teach abdominal breathing. You could do that at home best if you're lying down. Put one hand on your chest, put one hand on your belly, and see what hand is, is, is raising uh, more. And um, so... Uh, so it's it's being able to just kind of follow the breath and uh, uh, invite the breath to go really where it wants to go because this is how we, we uh, naturally breathe. So um, uh, the f- informal practice of uh, of the first step is to put like breath reminders, and I give people these little uh, pieces of felt that's shaped like a heart. And uh, it's the acronym uh, FELT, because it's made out of FELT, uh, feel every loving touch. So you put these FELT pieces in different places as reminders to breathe from your belly. Um, And so that, you know, that's like a brake pedal. It cools down the the nervous system where the the stress response, uh, the chest breathing is like putting your foot on the gas. So that's step number one. Uh, step number two, um, and I follow the the kind of traditional practices of mindfulness, how you learn how to do mindfulness meditation. It's then learning how to work with the breath. And so the breath is the bridge that connects the mind and the body. And so, you know, we can be driving down the freeway and skip the, the turnoff because our you know, our mind is like 2,000 miles away. Um, and oftentimes during the, the day, we're, we're somewhere other than where we actually are. Yeah. And so uh, meditation on the breath is learning how to uh, put your attention on the, on the breath. And you're not trying to do abdominal breathing, but actually it, it happens on its own. Um, so um, uh, the breath is the anchor. Uh, that anchors you to the present moment. And the problem with infertility is that it's past and future based. Um, the regret, the guilt of the past, the fear, the, um, the anticipation of the future. And mindfulness is all about 
present moment awareness. Mm. And so anchoring to the breath through the meditation on the breath. Um, and it could even be a two to three minute practice. Uh, but um, like on my website, I have all, all, all of the practices and they're 10 minute practices. So um, then, then I teach the second practice, which is uh, mindfulness of the body. So mindfulness is considered an embodied practice because it's how the body responds to our thoughts, emotions, and experiences. The problem with our thoughts is that they create stories and the stories are true and they send us down a rabbit hole. And the body is a reliable source of information. The body does, doesn't lie like our thoughts do. And so... Um, the, 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 the practice that goes with mindfulness of the body, the, there's the informal and then the formal practice. The informal one is um, the pause practice. So that practice is you're in a tense situation. You're noticing that, you know, you're feeling tense and you, 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 you pause. Um, and then you um, you breathe because again it's calming down the, the nervous system, um, and then you uh, you look at uh, your your thoughts. You observe, so you observe what are you thinking? Um, you know, I'm never going to get pregnant, and you don't do anything with it. You just observe. That's the thought. What's the emotion? Um, anxiety. Yeah. Then you and start feeling. Don't in your do body. anything with it, and then you go into your body. And you can, you know, see where, see where you're holding the, uh, the, the tension in your body, you know, kind of, if it's in, in the, your heart area, kind of breathe into and out from your heart, kind of open it up, um, you move your shoulders. Um, so this is a practice that you could even do when you're driving in the car, you could have your eyes open, yeah. just bring yourself into your body. So the body grounds, grounds yourself. Um, and then the formal practice is meditation on the body where you learn to, to actually, uh, what I was saying about acceptance is acceptance uh, is the ability to turn toward that which you resist. Mm. And the problem with stress is that we don't want to feel that way. And so we run or, or hide or yeah. we're feeling overwhelmed by it. But what happens with mindfulness is that, that um, and this is a this is the first practice that really teaches it um, extremely well that that you go to precisely where you're feeling the, the tension and you acknowledge what's there with with mindfulness meaning without judging it that mm. that I shouldn't be feeling this way that you know I don't like this and then you breathe into and out from that source of discomfort um, creating room for those uh, sensations to uh, dissipate or fall into the past or simply be because mm -hmm. acknowledgement alone is a powerful uh, tool in dis discharging tension. Um, that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. That the most important thing is acknowledge. Um, and um, do you want me to talk about the next two? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be too, too wordy no, I'm here. Just, I'm just thinking how you know, mindfulness the act of being mindful is the non-judgment. So you say, be mindful, be mindful. It sounds a lot nicer than stop being judgmental, stop being judgmental. Right, right. It's not about stopping. It's mindfulness is all about witnessing, noticing, observing. Yep. 
my, uh, and when I say judgmental, I mean of yourself. Like yeah, when you say, exactly, right. go inside and figure out and feel where your body's holding that. It could be anger in your liver. It could be resentment in your heart, like wherever you're holding that, mm-hmm. that emotion, that anxiety, you know, uh-huh. yeah, I love that. And yeah. not being judgmental of it. Like what did your liver ever do to, 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 to like sin against you. Yeah. Yeah. Your body doesn't do that, but it holds the emotions for you. And if you just are mindful of your body, then that's like most of the battle, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it's what happens. And this is what I was saying about you getting your own way. It's, it's the thoughts are really corrosive and uh, mindfulness is an embodied practice gets you out of your head and, and you start with your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it's this neutral attention and then the, um, you know, for, uh, there's control as a way that we typically kind of deal with life, which is what I was saying doesn't work, especially with infertility. And then mindfulness uses awareness. Um, it's more than, more than, um, uh, like a technique. It's really a, a, a way of life. So it's just being aware of what's happening, what you're feeling, what you're, what you're thinking, um, observing it, and then working with it with mindful attention, not mm-hmm. meaning without judging it, without um, being, uh, without uh, avoiding it, mm-hmm. uh, without being consumed by it. It's, it's just being with it neutrally. Yeah. So the next practice after uh, anchoring with the, learning how to anchor with the breath, learning how to ground with the body is learning how to work with thoughts. And, um, you know, as I was saying, uh, we, we tend to have this categorization model of, of um, liking, disliking, success, failure. And our, so we, we have these thoughts that um, uh, are usually like, it's usually a personalizing kind of thought, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm a failure because I can't get pregnant. Um, and then there's the emotion, which is uh, the, the, the guilt or the anxiety. And that, it's like it confirms the thought. It makes it that much more real. Um, and uh, so mindfulness, uh, Buddhist psychology comes from the perspective that it's not so much the thoughts we have, but how tightly we hold on to that those thoughts mm. that accounts for our mental suffering. Well, it's like the arrow parable. You are not in control of the first thought that comes to your head, but you're in control of the second, third, and fourth thought. Yeah, and 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 how tightly, like if that second thought is, "Oh my gosh, why didn't why didn't I get away?" Um, but we hold on to it so tightly, then that's much more the problem than the thought it's, it, itself. Yeah, um, there's another really, really cool uh, story that is often told in mindfulness circles, and it's a story about the monkey and the coconut. So um, the way that uh, monkeys are are caught have been caught in some uh, cultures. Yeah, uh, is to put a banana, cut a, a, a hole, drill a hole in the coconut, and um, uh, you take out the you know, the, the, yep. the milk, put a banana inside, hang it from a tree. And so the monkey comes over, puts his hand in the hole and grabs a hold of the monkey, the, the banana, but can't get the, the hand out 
because it's the fist the is too big. Yep. And so the hunter just comes around and gets the monkey easily. Because so it won't let go of the banana. It, it won't it won't let go. And so this is this is the story that goes with it's how tightly we hold yeah. on to things. That's the problem. Wow. Um so then it's learning how to see thoughts skillfully. One that they're mental formations, that they uh th- that they're they're not per- you know, they're they're uh, to be ob- observed, um, like clouds in the sky, you know, forming and then and then passing away. And they're events; they're not facts. Um, so it's not uh, it's not their thoughts are not to be be personalized. Um, they're seen as uh, just e- events that that come and go. And so then it's it's being able to take this kind of neutral perspective and look really look into the the thought. Um, and as I was saying, Buddhist psychology is all about um, what 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 makes you what keeps you stuck and how to break free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's uh, I do a lot of work with uh, w- with thoughts in therapy because um, the thoughts are are all invalid, but they but they feel so real. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's, it's working with, with thoughts skillfully and kind of reframing them in a way that that's accurate and that can produce feelings of, of well-being. And then lastly, it's how to work with your emotions and, yeah. uh, like, like thoughts, emotions are not seen as good or bad, right or wrong, uh, but can become, they have the potential to become, uh, destructive, um, if they're resisted. So yeah. again, resistance comes in the form of judging, obsessing, uh, avoiding, discounting, um, and so with emotions, it's um, it's about making room for emotions. It's using the quality of, of openness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a story that goes with that um, that I love. So what happens if you put a, a, a teaspoon of salt in in a cup and taste it? It's really salty. How about a pot? Um, same te- as teaspoon of salt. It's less uh, salty, but uh, a teaspoon of salt in a pond, it has, you don't taste the salt. And so it's the analogy of um, disturbance of the mind uh, dissolves in a spacious mind in an open heart. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's when you feel an emotion, I, I do this all the time because I'm actually, I, I feel a lot of emotions. Um, that's, that's who I am. I, you know, that's not going to go away. Um, but it's, uh, it's getting out of my head by, okay, going into my body and and literally just making room for the emotion Mm -hmm. because it's, it's it's constricting of the emotion. You know, this is the tightness, um, uh, that only exacerbates the emotion, so it's breathing into the emotion, you know, just uh, cre- creating space for it in the body. And you know, certainly there's, uh, then there's, there's meditation on the on emotions that teaches you how to work with emotions. There's meditation on thoughts, again, meditation on body and meditation on breath. So there's the formal practices that go with each and the informal practices that go with each. So this all applies uh, mostly to the woman herself, right? We've been talking about the mindfulness, but what impact does infertility have on her partner? Yeah, so I I have not only done these eight-week uh, programs, but I also have um, 
oh, a one day program and I divide one of the one of the things that we do is I have a men's group and a women's group and I say you know how um, uh, how has in, uh, infertility impacted your relationship so what are the challenges and what have you found that you uh, that, that that helps and um, typically women think that their men just aren't feeling uh, the, the pain of infertility, yeah. uh, anywhere near as deeply as, as, as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very painful for men, but they express it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, men, uh, under, uh, conditions where self-esteem is being threatened, which infertility does, um, uh, there's kind of typical male and female uh, reactions. Uh, now this isn't always the case, but the stereotype is that men tend to f- fix and w- women tend to, to feel uh, mm-hmm. so uh, and, and feel overwhelmed, run over by their emotions. And the fixing tends to constrict the emotions. So, you know, what they, what they, um, they're, they're looking for, for answers and wait for it to, to help. But, um, but for women, it feels like they're not really there. Yeah. Uh, you know, they feel like they're between a rock and a, and a, a hard space that if they, if they say how they feel, then it's going to, it's, it's, it's going to overwhelm their, their partner. Yeah. Um, and if they try this, this, you know, advice, that's not going to help if they, you know, whatever they, they try doesn't seem to be, be, be right. So they feel pretty inadequate. I mean, that's what I've, I've found. Um, and so t- typically infertility uh, tends to drive a wedge uh, in, the, yeah. in, in the relationship. Yeah, it's um, really difficult. And, so how do you- Until it's worked with. And then, worked, then, it yeah. can, yeah, then it can bring you closer together. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yes. So how do you um, then help people find acceptance and ease into the process of perhaps a third party fertility solution like surrogacy adoption? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that happens with mindfulness, since it is this neutral attention and uh, uh uh, getting to a place of really looking at your thoughts and what's valid and what's not valid is that you you look at you know what is what is your intention what is your deep motivation um, you know why do you want to have a child um, it, uh, so many people start questioning you know if they actually do want a child because it's it's so hard um, and so um, Oftentimes, it feels like it's all about the the genetics. And when uh, when you get through a lot of these practices, then you realize that it's not the genetics that's important. It's really the parenting. Mm. It's it's the transaction of of love. Um, And you know, if I fell in love like with my husband, who's I never knew, you know, uh, or my I've heard this said a lot. You know, I totally love my dog and this is like a different species. Yeah, that, and it's that like, is a good comparison. How could you yeah. think, yeah, you could love your partner, but you not could, love a child that's biologically not yours? That's Exactly, right. Uh, so you really start digging into the the, 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 the the validity and recognizing what what is really truly important, what's trying to happen here. And it is that transaction of love. What's trying to happen here? I love it. Wow. My goodness. 
Um, and, and you went through that journey too. What was the, how long did you decide, you know, what was your thought process when you finally decided to go with surrogacy? Uh, yeah. So, um, I had, you know, lost several pregnancies and then an IVF didn't, didn't work. And the only other option was donor IVF. And I was actually in the original pool kind of when it, when it started. Um, I was going to say, I'm doing the math here and I'm like, wow, that's IVF. That's you're in the nineties. Right. Because my daughter is, is actually 26. And so, so donor IVF was almost like, uh, 30 years, 30 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Wow. It's brand new. Yeah. So, I mean, when my, when my, my OBGYN uh, called me, uh, I was at work and said, the only thing that would work is, is donor IVF. I had no clue what she was talking about. Um, and uh, so um, it was really hard for me to let go of my genetics because I'm hundred percent Italian um, and really just raised in this total Italian uh, way and Italian identity. You know, I have this big nose and I actually appreciate the big nose because it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's an Italian kind of relic. Um, and it was so hard to let go of, of, of the genetics. Um, and then uh, finally, when I started kind of pursuing the path of, of donor egg, I, I, um, we first it was my sister, and then we were matched with uh, with a donor. And in those days, there were no agencies, and so you could give one criterion to the nurses of how you wanted to be matched. And we looked at it, and we thought actually it's it's curiosity, and um, it's sort of an open uh, an, an an openness um, and. Um, uh, kind of way of being and curiosity actually is fundamental in, uh, in in mindfulness and so we we met the donor because in those days 50 percent of intended parents wanted to meet the donor and 50 percent of donors wanted to meet the intended parents and so when I went down to um, LA because I was at Uni- University of Southern California um, I actually stayed with my donor and we became good friends because we had like three fresh cycles and there were a couple of like frozen, uh, frozen transfers. Oh my goodness. So and she's your, your egg donor. She was my egg donor. Got it. Yeah. She was like my egg donor. And um, uh, it didn't matter that she, she had blonde hair. Um, she, she looked nothing like me. The only similarity was that she was 5'2 and I'm 5'2. Um, but um I, you know, it was that she was such a wonderful person and it was a child coming out of like somebody wanting to be there to, to help us. Um, so it didn't work. And um, so we pursued adoption and surrogacy simultaneously and said, wherever the baby came first and we we're just about ready to adopt a, a baby and it, it fell through and then we were matched with our surrogate. And in those days, it was traditional surrogacy. Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, it wasn't my egg. Um, Donor egg was not successful enough um, to use it for surrogacy. So it was uh, my husband's sperm um, uh, using IUIs uh, for inseminations. Um, So I actually uh, had to do a step-parent adoption to have my child. So it was, a, uh, and again, this is, this doesn't This is 1990. Now. Well, so I think some states you can still do. 1996. 
Yeah, you can still do traditional. Traditional surrogacy is where the the circuit is also the egg donor, and that's it's, illegal and that's what in it most. Is. It's most most states that's illegal illegal now. It, it, well, it's not. Um, it's not illegal. It's certainly not recommended. Not it's recommended. A, yeah, and a, if you go to a lot of to uh, agencies, it's they won't. They uh, you know they'll. Well, then you get it. Then you get in the problem if the surrogate changes her mind. It is her egg. It is her her offspring. So you get yeah. There's a yeah, little bit of a yeah. problem it's, there. Exactly know? right. Um, but like in California, there's case law which which. Uh, which basically it was um, it goes in favor of the contract. Uh, so even with traditional surrogacy, so there, but who wants cases. to who wants to break someone's mind? So it's easier yeah, to avoid so those it's, situations exactly. And I never recommend a traditional yeah. surrogacy to anyone. Yeah. So so, but you met your traditional surrogate, obviously, and yeah, because in surrogacy, like you, you for most people in the United States, you do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a really, it was a hard experience. It was very bittersweet um, because it's hard seeing someone do something that you want to be able to, to, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the first book that I know of that came out on surrogacy was called A Matter of Trust. And it really is about building trust. And so it turned out to be a, a really wonderful um, experience. Uh, we were there for the, for the birth and um, uh, just the handing over of the baby. Uh, Cheyenne uh, t- to me was the most, you know, one of the most like uh, amazing moments um, that, that someone who, you know, previously never knew you is willing to give you this gift of life. Mm-hmm. Wow. I know it's amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. Wow. I could talk to you all day. Honestly, <laughs> we should probably do another episode on fertility. This is fascinating. Um, but for listeners, where would they find your website or more about your book? So um, the book is on, on Amazon. Um, either look up my name, Janetti Murata, or A Fertile Path. Uh, you could also go to my website, which is JanettiMurata.com, and uh, you can just click the button, purchase the book. Um, uh, and I've got a lot of like posts on there. Uh, again, you can access the meditations that are in the book so that all of the meditations are guided meditations and you can access that for free, even if you don't buy the book. <laughs> I see um, that I'm on your beautiful website and you can download these great things. Very cool. 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 Thank you so much. And if you have any questions for Dr. Murata, you can contact her through her site, or you can also contact me at media at birthcircle.com. And again, it's Janetti Murata. And I'm going to spell it just because. Okay. Yeah. It's J- kind of tricky. Yeah. J-A-N-E-T-T-I-M-A-R-O-T-T-A. Or you can look at the show notes. We'll have, we'll have it linked. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Murata. This has been so fascinating. Thank you, Sarah. What a, what a treat to be on your show. And, and it's wonderful that you have this show. I listen to a few podcasts and they're fantastic. And you we, are a terrific interviewer. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you are, yeah, yeah. Thank I mean, you, you just much. make it so like real. It's a conversation, learning because from the, the best. Conversation. Yep, <laughs> I, I, I feel so honored that I get to 
uh, kneel at the feet of the masters from all over the world and learn, <laughs> learn from your oh, wisdom. So thank yeah, you so much. I don't call myself a master, but anyway, thank you uh, for the compliment. You're obviously a master. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.